All right, let's uh, say a prayer real quick and then we'll hit the road. There's always so much to do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the light of the world. We pray that you would always shine your light on us, that we, reflecting your Father's will and his love, may shine your light into the world, that others might glorify your name. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's get down to business. So, well, no, sorry, housekeeping first. Uh, In the baskets, you're going to put money for People's Resource Center. Thank you for doing that. Um, It's the fourth Sunday in Lent. You know, we see, you see us wearing the rose color, uh, a little bit of a reprieve from, the, um, from the, the sort of long fast that we endure, 46 days, counting the Sundays. So, um, so rejoice with us today, but then come back next week for one more week of Lent, and then on to Palm Sunday, and then Holy Week. So make sure you got everything on your calendar, all right? 7 o'clock on Monday, Thursday, 7 o'clock on Good Friday, 7 o'clock on Holy Saturday, 8.30 and 11 on Sunday morning, Okay. Um, the capital campaign is winding down now. Um, Palm Sunday is the date to turn in your pledges. Please do that. As you've heard, I think um, we're measuring participation. We're measuring success by participation, right? So, even if what, whatever that whatever that looks like for you, just turn in the card, fill in the form online. This is easiest, in fact, if you go on the website, stjohnwheaton.org. There's a pledge with an exclamation mark at the end. It's really exciting. Click it, and then. Let us know, because if you don't, we'll send the vicar after you. And look at that guy. You don't want him showing up at your front door, okay? Do you have any questions for me? Um, I asked this yesterday at the catechumen at Pastor Brzezik was away, and I said, okay, he's gone. What are your questions? <laughs> they started going, and it was, it was great. Um, just kidding. Um, let's do this. So we're going we're gonna to keep going in John. Um, with the sort of the same track in mind that you've been working on so far. Um, I, think that, I think this is what's happened. Tell me if this is right or not. You've, you've seen Jesus meeting various people along the way, right? So you're making your way through John, and you see Jesus meeting various kinds of people. Um, and I'd like you to help me out here uh, with sort of charting what kinds of people you've seen. What are the stories you've heard so far? The woman caught in adultery. Okay, so that's John 8. Nicodemus. Okay, hang on, I can only write so fast. <laughs> Three t- is Nicodemus. We also get, so we get the continuation of Nicodemus' story in the gospel lesson this morning, all of, chapter 3. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the Nicodemus story is great because, um, well, we, need, me, Nick, we meet this fellow, this kind of person, for one thing. He's got all kinds of questions. But then we learn everything, basically, we need to know about baptism. Unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This is reflected, actually, again, in the text that we're going to look at today, John chapter 9. So the book of John is, there's a, a number of sort of underlying structures. One of them is sort of like this, um, with you got the beginning I should finish the word. And then the end, and things are reflected. So what happens here is reflected here. So chapter 3 is reflected a bit in chapter 9. So pay attention to that as we go forward. What other stories? What other, who else have you met along the way? The woman at the well. The woman at the well. That's good. That's four. Who else? The man by the pool. The man by the pool, right? Bethesda, and, and the waters are stirred, but he can't get in the waters. Okay. Who else? You meet John the Baptist in, way back in chapter 1. Who else do you meet at the beginning? 
Um, we're going to meet the mind of man today. Okay? John the Baptist is in chapter 1. You meet a couple other people in chapter 1. Philip and Nathaniel, right? Smart-alecky seminarians. Okay. Um, Anybody else? Anything else you've heard about? I'm going to report this back to Pastor Ruzik if you don't get all of it. <laughs> How about, did you, uh, did you have Judas? Yeah. You did have Judas. Um, what chapter did he talk about Judas in? Do you remember? I don't know. Later, we have Judas. Um, wedding at Cana. Did you do the wedding at Cana? Okay. So you've got all this, this sort of, oh, that's chapter 2. I just clearly did not plan this out well where I was going to write that. Okay, now, um, so you met all these people along the way. And um, one of the features of John, if you, so this is a really helpful way to look at John. Who are the characters in John? There's another, another way to look at John, which is to see how in John Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament, fulfilling the law and the prophets. He is demonstrating himself to be everything that was promised to God's people from the very beginning, okay? Um, and so you're seeing these two things. You're meeting all these people. You're finding out who Jesus is. Now, the great thing about John chapter 9, you've met all these other people. In John chapter 9, now Jesus is going to meet you, okay? So, this is, so here is a story about, not about somebody else, but a story about you, which is, uh, it's a really encouraging story. It's a really positive story. But to, we should set the stage a little bit. So we're in John chapter 9. You notice there's this kind of gap right here, 5, uh, 6, 7, and 8. So 6 is about, is Jesus' teaching on his eating and drinking his flesh and blood. Remember, he scandalizes everybody. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you ha- don't have life in you. And he feeds the crowds, and they say, how is that possible? And he says, wrong question, right? Just you know, this is, this is how God saves you. You shouldn't be surprised that he feeds you. And then if you consider what it means to eat Christ's body and blood, naturally it's the, simply the best thing in the world. Um, then this really interesting episode happens in chapter 7. Chapter 7 is kind of narrative, uh, moving us along, moving us forward. They're coming up to the Feast of Booths, one of the, one of the main festivals that the people of Israel celebrated, um, reminiscent of the time that they, that they you know, dwelt in the wilderness, but looking forward to the time when they're going to be living in God's eternal tent. Remember way back at the beginning, we have the, uh, the word get, became flesh and tented among us, dwelt among us, lived in a tent among us. So they're celebrating the Feast of Booths, which is the Feast of Tents, the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus' brothers, who don't, who don't yet believe in him, this is the beginning of chapter 7, they say, hey, we're going to the feast. Um, you should go and do all of the things that we've been seeing you doing, and we'll just test this out, see what happens. And Jesus says, no, you guys go to the feast. I'm not going to go. He's, at this point, already fully aware that if he has too great a conflict with the Jews, they're just going to kill him. Right? So he says, I'm not going to go. But then later, he does go. Um, he comes in secretly, quietly. And he, in fulfilling the Old Testament and fulfilling everything that they've seen coming beforehand, he does these two really striking things. I just, uh, I, I love this. It's one of my favorite parts of John. Um, there were two, two important rituals that took place at the Feast of Booths. There was the Pool of Siloam, and they would draw water from the Pool of Siloam, and they would carry it up um, into the Court of Women, and they would pour it out. And on the Temple Mount, the, this procession of water. And then there was this festival of lights so that the early uh, Jewish writers comment that there was, there was so much light in the court of women that it was like day. 
people with candles and torches. It was like daytime. So now Jesus comes along in chapter 7, and he walks, he walks up and he says, well, I, get, I get them out of order now. John chapter 7 and chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world, right? And then also, I am the living water. So he says, all these things that you've been doing, that have been pointing ahead towards what God is going to do for you, the promises he's going to fulfill for you, here I am, right? I am here now fulfilling everything. And of course, they are astounded by this, and nobody quite understands it. And this takes us then to John chapter 9. Are you with me so far? You following along? So this is, the, this is the necessary backdrop for John chapter 9, where we have this wonderful, really well-crafted narrative about the man born blind. Okay, so let's take a look at it here. You've got it on your handout. I figured I should print something out for you. I'm not much for handouts these days. Uh, so you've got the text there with no commentary. Um, this is what I do, though. If you want to be like me, this is what you do. Um, and I'll try and, try and do it up here as well. You'll notice, take a look, just, just so you see it on the back, this is an icon of the story. We'll take a look at it more carefully in just a moment, but I want to read first the first seven verses, this first section here. And what you should do is you should pay attention to, I'm going to ask you once I'm done reading it, what, are, what, what questions are raised by this? What's striking? What's unusual? Um, what do you think is going on? What is this story going to be about? Okay? You ready? As he passed by... He saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Okay. What is striking? What, que- what questions does this raise? Carol. Yep. This is a cooperative endeavor, right? We must work. Hang on. Let's try this. Look at that. Cooperative. Okay, what else? How did they know he was born from birth? Um, that's a good question. So, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> Why, well, how do they know he was blind from birth? Um, Everybody knew, for, for one thing, you'll find out as the story progresses, everybody knew this man was blind from birth. That's why they don't believe that he is the same guy, because now he can see. This guy's been blind from birth. How, it's, not, it's not the same guy. Um, but notice what the text says there in verse 1. As he bu- passed by, who saw the man born blind from birth? Jesus, right? Okay, this is a, um, not something to be overlooked. It, when, when Jesus sees, we were just talking about this in... Friday morning women's Bible study in Mark. In Mark, it's so striking. Jesus sees, and when he sees need, he cannot help but show compassion. He is moved to compassion. And in Mark, it's, what's interesting is that it sort of works against his um, intentions. So he sees somebody sick or in need, and he can't help but help them, but then he has to tell them to shut up and don't tell anybody because I, this is not what I'm after, right? I healed you, but I'm, I'm trying to preach the gospel, and I'm trying to get to Jerusalem, right? Um, but he can't help it. So now, so he sees the man born blind from birth. Okay, 
So bear that in mind. He saw, which then means he's going to be compassionate. Craig. So in verse 2, can we go back to kind of the, the question that's asked there? Yes. We, we understand that the sins of past generations affect future generations. Right. However, that was, I mean, they were, they're talking about a specific, they made a conclusion that that specific sin was, the, was because of, you know, of, First, that man or its parents. Right. So this is exactly right. So you have this, first of all, this juxtaposition between Jesus, who when he sees, shows compassion, and the disciples, when they see, start asking unhelpful questions, right? <laughs> Whose fault was this, right? Um, now, you're right, absolutely right. So uh, the, te- the conclusion of the Ten Commandments, the Lord your God is a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of their fathers to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. And we had it in Numbers 21 this morning. The people of Israel sinned, and they got punished, right? The fiery serpents came out and bit them. So it does, it, it does happen. Um, but whose concern is it? Who should be concerned about that? So if you're being, if you, if you're being punished... It's, for, it's your concern. It's not the disciples' concern, right? Their concern, their job is to show compassion, right? They miss the point entirely. Um, so, you, so it's interesting because this starts out as a, stor- a story which appears like it's going to be the kind of story of asking questions like, okay, how do we understand um, who's, responsible for, uh, who, who's responsible for tragedy or who's responsible for when things go wrong? Jesus is saying that's not the right question for you to be asking at all because when you see something going wrong, what should you be doing? Showing compassion. I don't know that I answered your question. I don't remember now what your question was. So <laughs> this is where, like where, where they uh, kind of came up with it. I guess that maybe it showed that their understanding at the time. Then, that's right. And then you can see how that applies to us today about, you know, yeah. you know Jesus', Jesus <clears throat> teaching them that it's not just—it's not because of the sins you might have done, or even your parents. It might be, you know, something else. That's right. So, absolutely right. Go ahead, Rachel. I'll, yeah. I was going to say, I think we always want to find a reason for suffering. Yes. Uh, that's right. Or, or at least the reason is not discernible to us, and the reason might just be—the reason is in. So there is a reason, but it is contained in God's mercy, right? So. Um, this is, this is another thing the disciples don't understand. So they think right away when Jesus, if Jesus, if God is punishing this man, it is vengeance, right? This is how, so the Tower of Siloam, Siloam again, when it fell on those people, was it their fault that it fell on them? Were they worse sinners than the rest of us? Well, no. Um, and, and God is not interested in uh, exacting revenge on people. He is interested in saving them. And so... The, you know, Jesus' answer covers the whole scope. It, it happens, any, anything happens, the answer is easy, is the answer is easy, that the works of God might be displayed in such a person, right? Even if it, whether it's through repentance or whether, through it's, whether it's through uh, showing patience and steadfast, steadfastness in the face of suffering, it's for God's glory. I was just going to say, I think the way that we, we kind of think of this well, somebody did something wrong, and it's reflected in the way we do comfort people. Right. So when we try to give consolation, we always say, well, God had a reason for this, or, yep. um, you know, it'll be better, or maybe it was, you know, we try to come up with That's right. excuses and answers. There's this, the, that's exactly right. So the, the book, the recent book published by Kate Bowler, who was diagnosed with uh, 
uh, some form of cancer at, the, at a young age in her 30s. The re- recent book she published, uh, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Believed, right? Un- this is not how you show comfort. If you want to look, it's fascinating. Look her up. She's been published in the New York Times, Kate Bowler, uh, B-O-W-L-E-R. She says the very same thing. She says, I've been through this now, and she's, she's well-trained and knowledgeable, and she says, just stop. <laughs> stop trying to give helpful reasons, right? Emily, you had your hand up. Well, I, I just feel like Jesus' answer, he's not saying that it's definitely not as a result of sin. Yes. He's just saying that that's not the right question. Right, exactly. Yep, yep. You disciples should be concerned about something else. You shouldn't be worried about whose fault this is, okay? Very, it's, very, it's a crucial point. Plus, we're never going to make it through this if you keep <laughs> doing this. So uh, what else do you see? What else do you see in this text? Verses 1 through 7. This is, the, this is the most dense part of the text, so it's okay if we spend some more time here. What else stands out to you? Or what other questions are raised? How he healed. How he healed. Tell me how he healed, Wayne. He spit. This is, I just got to tell you, um, the Greek word for, so spit is kind of an onomatopoetic word, right? It kind of sounds like what it does. The Greek word is even better. It's like, so we're teaching Matthias how to brush his teeth and you have to pretend to put toothpaste in the toothbrush, and then you say, okay, spit now, and he goes, Pachoo. that's the Greek word for spitting. Ptuo, ptuo, it's great. Um, neither here nor there, but yes. He spit. Yep. It's to make mud from the dirt. And then he put it on his eyes. Now, this is not the, the only time that we hear of Jesus spitting on somebody. He does it twice in Mark. First, he has the man who's deaf and mute, and he first sticks his fingers in his ears, and then he spits on his fingers and pulls out the guy's tongue, and then he can, then he can hear and speak. And, of course, I think you probably remember this is, shows up in baptismal liturgies throughout the history of the church. Um, this, is, this is how God looses your tongue and uh, opens your ears, and then he does it to another man in Mark. He spits and, and, and puts it on his eyes. But what else is... So, so he spits and makes mud. Does that remind you of anything? Does that sound like anything familiar? Creation. creation, right? I, so John is a clever guy um, as he's writing this gospel, and it rings of creation, which we shouldn't be surprised about, of course, because how did he begin the book? In the beginning, right? Um, okay, what else? And, and he sent him away, okay? To the pool of Siloam. And John, not needing to do this, tells us what Siloam means. It means sent. And here is, this is really, this is difficult for me to write on this music stand. Um, This is the Greek word for sent. Apostolmenos. What does that sound like to you? Apostolmenos. Apostle. Okay? Apostle is one who is sent. So now we've got a fellow who's sent to the wash in the pool of Siloam, and he becomes an apostle. Um, okay, what else? John also uses the word anoint. He does. He does, in fact, use the word anoint. Um, so now there's some dispute among scholars whether John means for you to think that he's being anointed like you would in baptism or when you're sick. Um, I think just like you noticed it now, you can't help but notice it. The word is epikrio, epikrio, which sounds like Christ, sounds like chrism. Um, so, and, then, and this is why, take a look now at the icon that I gave you. 
And here I have it helpfully on the screen for you, too. Um, what's going on here? We've got the story. Why is this such a striking icon? What is it, where does it look like the man's going? To a baptismal font, right? It just looks like he's going and getting baptized now, although he's baptizing himself. But, right, but, but I mean, but that's, that's okay when Jesus is still around. He told you to go do it. You're going to go do it. It rings of, say, it rings of the story of, you know, Nahaman the Syrian, right? The commander, the Syrian commander who has leprosy, and he goes, and he first goes to the king of Israel who tells him, um, I can't help you. Are you trying to start a war with me? And uh, Elisha sends a messenger and says, no, come, and I will, I will heal you. Uh, Elisha doesn't even go out to meet, the king, to meet Naaman. He sends his messenger to Naaman. And so Naaman's coming along, and the messenger comes up to him and says, go wash in the Jordan River. And Naaman says, that stinky river? I've got better rivers at home. And so he's not going to do it. But all of his friends, all of his servants say, no, you should listen to this guy. So he goes and he washes, and he is made whole. Leprosy is gone. Same thing is going on here. Jesus says, go wash in the pool of Siloam, and he went and washed and came back seen. This guy believes Jesus. He does just what he says. George. It's interesting that God allowed him to be healed even though he had no faith in seeds. Naaman, the Syrian, you mean. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so God works in some, uh, he works hard to convince you, right? And, and saves you even when you're, as you heard in Ephesians, right? Ephesians, we were once dead in our trespasses and sins, and he, um, he saves us. Um, also notice this. This is, this is another crucial point. Has the fellow ever seen Jesus? Well, I mean literally. No, he hasn't seen Jesus. So he gets his eyes anointed. He still can't see. He goes away. He comes back seeing, and evidently Jesus is gone. Okay? He doesn't come back to see Jesus. He comes back to see his inquisitive neighbors. Okay? There are more interesting things here yet. Hang on with me for a second. What, uh, do you have anything other, anything else you want to? Yes, Bill. Well, when it says that um, the works of God might be displayed in him, that sounds like more blind from birth. He has to carry this cross specifically, not that he knows it. But yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, and that is the nature of crosses, right? You don't ask for them. In fact, if you so this this is helpful. This is Luther on. Crosses and suffering. He says, if you've asked for it, it's not a real cross. Okay. But Jesus says, take up your cross. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's voluntary. Well, whether or not you endure it with patience and faith is, is voluntary once Jesus has told you to do it. Right? <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Um, and this man, so this story is the story of this man. Um, who We don't know about his condition beforehand. We don't know how he thought about this beforehand, but what we discover is um, how his faith in Jesus starts out, you know, with simple obedience because Jesus has something that is going to help him, and then it grows, it grows and grows to the point where he's, um, he's a faithful, he's a faithful disciple of Jesus. Carol. Hmm. I would even, so let's say you're looking at, we must work with the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. Okay, 
I think, so now I hadn't thought of it in terms of the end times. Because I, I look at verse 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I think that Jesus, so you might be right, Carol. You might be right, but I think Jesus is talking about his ascension into heaven. Okay? So he is doing these works, especially in Mark, um, which we, sorry if I refer to it too much, we've been talking about it in women's Bible study, especially Mark, you have this sense that there's this pressure and Jesus is aware of it. He's only got a limited time to do this work that he's been sent to do. We've got to work now while, there is t- while, there, while it is day because darkness is coming, right? And the darkness is really when Jesus goes away. Jesus goes to heaven. I am the light of the world. As long as I'm in the world, you have this light. When the light goes away, what's going to happen? This is a real question for the early church. Jesus is gone. Well, he's, he's gone from your sight, right? In fact, Jesus acknowledges that this is going to be a problem. He says, I'm going away, but I'm going to send you a helper, right? The Spirit. Carol. Along that line, what's not mentioned here is this is a blind, blind man. He needs a helper to get to, to do what Jesus told him to do. Sure. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you, you, you can imagine that there are all kinds of other people who are, are, who are benefiting from this episode besides just him. Michael. I don't, I don't know if it's intentional, but uh, the language is striking. You mentioned that the man's blind, so he hasn't seen Jesus. He also has no conception of whether it's day or whether it's night. Yes, that's absolutely right. So um, there's this, think, think about what it means. So you've got a world immersed in darkness. This, is, this is, relates to the gospel text for this morning as well. John talks about how um, Jesus shines in the darkness and those who were working deeds of darkness, whose works were evil, didn't love the light, right? They hated the light because it exposes their works. Um, if you're blind, you don't know whether it's day or night. You don't know whether there's light or not, right? Um, so, so now, it, so this is, comes crucial, becomes crucial later. Spin just a little bit further ahead. Go to verse 40. We're going to get the conclusion here, 39, for judgment, Jesus says, for judgment. Notice this is not condemnation, right? For judgment, for, for distinguishing between things, between good and evil, not for condemnation. For judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Okay, so picture this. So, you're, so the man has no concept of what it means for it to be day or night, light or dark, and now he does, right? Because the light shone on him, and it turns out he's not blind. Um, think about then what that means for the Pharisees who are blind. Okay, so when it's dark... When it's dark, when it's pitch black, there's no distinction between seeing and blind, right? No distinction whatsoever. So when the light comes, it is this moment of judgment because those who aren't blind, now they can see. But for the blind, it's as it was before. And Jesus says, the judgment is, if you insist, like the emperor who has no clothes, that you can see, even though, even though you can't, then you're under, then you're under judgment. Okay, this is uh, something to take seriously about John is that um, Jesus uses this word crisis over and over again, right? And that's the word judgment is, is uh, connected to crisis. When he comes, uh, he causes a crisis. As long as we're all in the dark, 
you know, it's a little bit uncertain how things are going, right? It's a little uncertain. But once the light comes, nobody's got any excuses anymore, okay? And that's why um, he has this sense of urgency about preaching, and that's why he's, he is saddened when people are insensible, when they insist on remaining um, in the darkness, and why he goes to such great lengths to bring you out of darkness. Okay. What else do you have? Anything else here? We should move on, probably. Um, it's going to take me the rest of the time just to read it to you. So, look, okay, we're going to, let's move on. Uh, verses 8 through 12, we've got to hear the rest of the story. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. <laughs> so you I get a sense of his indignation right out. The, just, I am the guy. I promise you I'm the guy. And I say it over and over again. He kept saying. So they said to them, okay, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. So, now think of this guy as an apostle. Um, he's got a gospel to share, a gospel to proclaim. What is his gospel? Yeah. I was blind. Jesus did some things to me, and now I can see. What, what else could you possibly need to know, right? He, this, this, clearly, this guy is different from anybody else. He can do what he says, um, and the proof is in the pudding. Right? This is it's totally obvious to this guy. And what he says is just reporting this totally obvious fact, which is, in fact, you know, parallel to the, the completely obvious fact that you have to report as apostles in the world. Right? I was dead. This man, Jesus, came and washed me, and now I'm alive. What else do you need to know? Right? This is a guy who raises the dead. Period. Craig. And then why did they ask where Jesus was? Did they want to question you? Did they yeah. see the, them face to face and confirm? Yeah. So they, I mean, so they have a bias right from the get go, right? They they want, they're looking for a single thing to disprove, to discredit Jesus. And now he's gone. Maybe his absence is enough to dis, to, to discredit him, right? What, maybe he's a figment of your. He's like your girlfriend in college. Not your girlfriend. Not your girlfriend. <laughs> not your girlfriend. <laughs> Gretchen, I was not talking to Craig. It's like when you were in college and you said you had a girlfriend and nobody believed you, right? Okay. Okay. Not that that happened to you either. We got to move on now. All right. Verse 13 through 17. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been bind. Okay, so now they, they talked to him. The, the, his neighbors talked to him, and now we're going to bring in the people who know things. They brought the Pharisees. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day. Key bit of information we didn't have to this point. One of the thirty-nine specific things that are regulated that you, you can't do on the Sabbath is kneading dough, which is the that's the verb that's used for Jesus making mud from his spit in the dirt. He's, so he's he's in utter violation of the Sabbath. Okay. And here we, we are reminded of that fact. The Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, so now he shortens up his story. He put mud on my eyes, I washed, and I see. What else do you need to know? Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, 
for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. And so they said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet, right? If you're not willing to draw this conclusion, I will do it for you. This is also obvious. This is also obvious. He's a prophet. Michael. The answer is that it was Jesus, but so far in the text, uh, I don't know. I, I don't see how he can already know that it's Jesus unless it's kind of extra textual. But it's obvious from the interaction. That's right. Yeah, so, so I mean, Jesus, come, Jesus going anywhere, he couldn't go anywhere without people saying, hey, Jesus is coming, right? This is um, something we often underappreciate in the Gospels. So Jesus' reputation was tremendous. Everybody knew who he was, whether they liked him or not, including the demons, okay? Why did they not know where he was? I, Jesus is a, he's, he has a disappearing act, right? Think about it. I mean, it was in... Uh, John, I think it was in John, they're about to stone him. It's a great thing. They're about to stone him. There's this crowd of people that are to stone him, and he just walks through their midst and goes away. I don't know. He's God, right? So um, he's hiding, but it is notable that he is hiding himself, right? He's left this man by himself. So now you should be seeing how this is an image of what's to come when Jesus ascends into heaven, right? He saves you, and then he scoots, Okay? And what, and what happens next is, is the interesting part of the story for you, okay? Um, back to your point again, Craig, about why, you know, what are they after? Here, again, they're trying to discredit him any way possible. And here they've got their, you know, their sure victory. He violates the Sabbath, right? He breaks God's law, um, which is silly because what's the Sabbath for? It is for man, not man for the Sabbath, right? Jesus asks the Pharisees and Mark again, um, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? This should be really obvious to you. Is it lawful to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? And they, the Pharisees, don't answer. They were silent. And then they go out and they plot to kill Jesus, right? Showing what's in their hearts. Thinking that the law of God is not, is not uh, for the sake of life. The law of God is for the sake of life. So if you take the, God's law and you sort of crank it and turn it towards doing something evil, um, it's not God's law anymore. You've corrupted it. Okay? It's not serving the purpose for which God gave it. Um, and so they're, you know, but they've, they've decided. He's broke the Sabbath. This is no problem. We can discredit him. I don't, there must be some trick going on here. Some, this guy's in cahoots with Jesus. Um, they've already said, we'll find out in just a moment here, um, they've already established that anybody who confesses Jesus to be the Christ gets cast out of the synagogue. So they can discredit Jesus because he broke the Sabbath. They can discredit this guy because he believes in Jesus. Problem solved, right? You don't have to worry about him anymore, which is the MO of the Pharisees throughout the stories. I mean, we're really hard on the Pharisees. They serve as a good foil for us because what they, what they are trying to do is clean the slate. Jesus causes problems for everybody, for you and for me too. And it's so much easier if you just get rid of him. <laughs> if you just say, oh, we don't have to, he's not making sense. He's telling us to eat his flesh and blood. Nobody, he, you know, how can man, as Nicodemus says, be, enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born again? This is nonsense. Forget about it. You don't have to worry about him. Much less do you have to worry about being who he says you should be, okay? Verse 18. 
The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. So bring in the parents, and they said, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Okay, so now you've got this man who is, who is becoming more and more marginalized, even by his parents, right? Because association with him is risky business. Being put out of the synagogue is, I mean, it's the end of your religious life. It's the re- end of your social life. Um, you, you can't recover from that, okay? And so, I mean, so this puts, gives us a, a, a real live example of what Jesus says when he, what Jesus means when he says um, that uh, you'll be handed over to authorities and that even your father and mother and brothers and sisters, um, you need to subsume to your love for me. Michael. The text seems to imply that the Jews actually do believe yeah. As they talk to the parents. So they continue, even though they believe what Jesus did actually occurred. Right. They continue in their uh, sin. Yeah, I mean, so you, along the way, you get the sense, at least, that some people, when they, when they hear this, when they observe what's going on, they, they, they believe. Not, not all, and the, the big motion is towards unbelief among the Jews. But some, some do believe. In fact, John identifies them. Um, at some point he says, the Jews who believed in him asked him this question, right? Okay. Let's keep going. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. So now we're going to pause there for a second. Remember, remember we've met all these other people and now we, here we come, into the blind, come across the blind man and we are meeting you. Okay, so this is you. You were born blind Jesus came and he spit on you and he made you see and then he went away and nobody believes you. They want to put you out of the synagogue. They want to discredit you. They want to marginalize you. They want nothing to do with you because of what you're saying, because of what you claim happened to you. Here's what, how the blind man now handles it. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. It doesn't matter to me. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> so, um, I'm, not, I'm not encouraging that kind of snark. <laughs> but it's really effective, right? Um, they, I mean, it just, this just lights them up. They reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses, right? We keep the Sabbath. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. Jesus has already had this conversation with them. Um, He says in John, it's in John chapter 5, after you have the story with the fellow at the pool of Bethesda, Jesus has this interaction with the Jews, and they say, uh, we follow Moses, and Jesus says, if you read Moses, you would see that he's talking about me. But since you don't, believe that, you are of your father, the devil. Okay? Uh, Jesus is not, uh, he's snarky too. Okay? 
you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. This should be so obvious to you. We know that God does not listen to sinners. So now he's pulling out his logic. This is just a simple syllogism, okay? God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. God listened to this. So God doesn't listen to sinners. God listened to this guy. Ergo, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Case closed. Okay? They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Okay? And that word cast him out there is, I mean, so they cast him out of the synagogue, um, but it's, ek- it's ekbalo. They, just like Jesus is cast out into the wilderness um, to be tempted by the devil, and demons are cast out of a person. This man is cut off. Okay? This seals his fate. And notice what it is that seals his fate. It is his faithfulness to the gospel that has been given to him, right? He has one thing to say. His one thing to say, which is what Jesus said, which Jesus did to him and for him. And um, these people are, you know, left and right, trying all kinds of different ways to get him to deviate from that, and he will not, uh, which, is, which is so encouraging, right? To see somebody do this um, and get cast out, um, to see that it's possible, Right? It's possible by the grace of God to be faithful. And then he receives his reward. Okay? Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Okay, so now his reward is that he sees Jesus face to face and, uh, and knowing what Jesus has done for him naturally worships him. It's a, it's a, it's a uh, beautiful picture of your life going forward. This is heaven for you. You see Jesus face to face. He says, I'm your guy. And you say, yep, you were, you were the guy all along. Um, and then Jesus turns to the Pharisees, the Jews and the Pharisees. He says, for judgment, we've read this already, I came into the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Right? So this is precisely what he has come to do. To take you who sit in darkness, to you who are blind, and to give you sight. And you know, the, 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 the negative side of the lesson is this, that if you are like the Pharisees and you, you are resolved not to have him be who he says he is, then you remain in your blindness and in your sin. Um, but the, you know, the other side of it, which is... Which is just full of hope for us is the fact that what, when Jesus goes to work on you and uh, then reveals himself to you, uh, there, there is uh, no joy that compares to that, which is, again, precisely what happens, not just, not just in the last day, not just in the, in the, on the last day, Carol, but also every Sunday, right, um, where you see Jesus face to face. Okay, what questions do you have about this? Yes, Betsy. It kind of goes against the whole concept that when you become a Christian, then suddenly life gets better. That's exactly right. Yes, you should never think that life gets better when you become a Christian. This um, is a comforting story for people. That's right. Yes, it is a comforting story. And Luther, we talked about this in the Catechumen yesterday. Luther um, points this out to us. 
In the large catechism, when Luther's talking about the Lord's Supper, he says, here are a whole slew of reasons you should come to the Lord's Supper as often as you can. The, you should become because of your own flesh, right? So you stick your hand inside your shirt and feel if you have a beating heart, and if you do, you know you are a sinner. There you go. There's reason number one. Number two is that you're in the world. And he says, if you just give it a try, just try acting like a Christian and see if you are not struck by so many temptations and so many obstacles and people making your life miserable, and you will see that you need the Lord's Supper, right? Same thing with the devil, he says. You know, Luther is the devil of the world in your flesh, right? The same thing with the devil. If you knew how many flaming darts of Satan were pointed at you at any given moment, you would run to the sacrament. Um, so, the, I mean, so the encouragement is in the story, we see that our lives are not unusual for the lives of Christians. And we hear uh, from everything that Jesus gives to us that he has provided for us, right? I'm going to send you my helper, and I leave you this testament, my last will and testament. Eat and drink my body for the forgiveness of your sins. And where there is forgiveness of sins, there is life and salvation, right? We should go back to church. Michael, one more thing. Okay. Thank you. Come back next week, and then we're off to the races with Holy Week, okay? Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.